Amen. So we're approaching the end of the book. We got this is probably we think we ended in verse 17 last time. All unrighteousness is sin. There's a sin not unto death. Uh, if you have been with us for most of the most of the first John, you know that the book is all about assurance. It's uh, <clears throat> basically he spent five chapters telling us what a real uh, authentic Christian looks like. Remember, there were people telling you that this is a Christian. No, this is a Christian. And there he was uh, telling them, writing them. He, we saw it last week. I write these things that you may know that you have eternal life and that that life is in his son. And the one who has the son has the life. So he's told us, uh, he's told us who uh, the Christians are. And so he's, uh, he's uh, written these things so that we can examine ourselves that we can examine who we are and that we know uh, that we know that we uh, know that we have eternal life. Basically, and this is probably the last time I'm going to give it to you, but you've heard me say it over and over again. You've heard John say it over and over again. He's given us three tests throughout this book to 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 uh, to examine ourselves, whether we be of the faith or not. Uh, he's given us three tests. The three tests are. The test of doctrine. Do you believe what the word says about God, about Christ? Uh, he's given us quite a few examples. The one who believes that Jesus came in the flesh has been born of God. Uh, the one who believes in the Father and the Son uh, has been born of God. The one who uh, believes in God rightly about what he said about himself is the one who is a, a believer. Hey, the second test is the test of obedience. We saw, we've seen that over and over again in the book. Uh, if you say that you, if you say you're in the light and you walk in darkness, you a liar. Uh, the one who says that he has eternal life and and uh, and doesn't keep the commands of God, doesn't follow after the commands of God, is uh, is not of God. We've seen that over and over again in First John. And then the last test that he gave us was the test of love. When you have a new heart, when God uh, bursts that new heart in you, when you're born again from the Spirit of God, you will have new desires. You will have a new love for, for God and for Christ and for God's people. The man who says that he loves God and hates his brother is a liar. We saw that. That's, a, that's what John has told us. And then he's given us those three tests, but he's also given us one profound truth that I hope you've seen over and over again. And he's going to give it to us again here as we look at the last few verses of this book. But he's given us one profound truth, and that truth is simple. It's by simple faith in Christ Jesus that you are made right with God, that you're born again. There's no, there's no working your way to a higher level. There's no uh, super Christians in the eyes of God. You are either in Christ Jesus or you are not. You are either righteous in his sight, perfect in his sight by the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus, or you are zero. You are absolutely filthy rags and wicked. But if you are in Christ, you are perfect, spotless, blameless. You are perfectly forgiven or you are absolutely under God's wrath. You're only one of those two things. There's no such thing as I'm doing better. Now we are doing better in our lives, but we're talking about in the sight of God, the father, the judge of all mankind, the judge of all the earth. You are either one or the other. You are either in Christ, perfect, righteous, blameless, or you are absolutely without hope uh, under the wrath of God. Those are the only two options. And John has told us that over and over again, because remember there were people coming in and saying, you know, we, we got the better thing. Y'all are just doing the baby steps. Y'all are doing this, the, the little, uh, uh, the, the kindergarten stuff. You need to grow and be like us. And John's telling them, no, if you have Christ, you have everything. There's nothing else to gain. There's nothing else. You'll grow in what you have. You'll grow in who you are. You'll start walking more, uh, more like what you've been made as you grow in Christ. But in the eyes of the Father, 
You, if you were saved yesterday, uh, you're just as perfect as the man who's been walking with Christ for 40 years. You're absolutely perfect in him. And so what we see is we look at these last um, these last uh, few verses and, and, and we're going to see things that we know. He's told us these things over and over and over and over and over again. There's no way you can misunderstand what John has said because he's repeated himself over and over. I know some of y'all are probably getting tired of hearing the same old message. I come back every Sunday morning. I'm basically saying the exact same thing I said last Sunday morning. Uh, it's because John has repeated himself over and over and over again. There's no way to misunderstand it. There's no way to say, well, it probably means this or that. He has told us over and over again what he intends to tell us. And ha- as he ends this letter, these last few verses, he's going to show us some things since we've read uh, chapters one through five. He's going to show us There's some things now that you know. There's some things that you're sure of. If you're a believer in Christ and you've looked at yourself, you've examined yourself, whether you be of the faith or not, there are some things now that you know. Verse 18, verse 19, verse 20 all begin with we know and we know and we know. And so what he's going to show us is these are things that we know because of what he's told us so far. These are things that these three things that we're going to see in verse 18, 19, 20. Actually, it's quite a few things, but these things that we're going to see as he summarizes summarizes basically everything he's been saying. These are things that we know. They're facts. They're not your, they're not opinions. They're not, well, you know, there's some circumstances that might, you know, we, there's some ifs and some ands and some buts. These are absolute facts. And these are definitional to what it means to be a Christian. You know, there are some things that we can disagree about and still have fellowship with each other. There are some things that we can disagree. You know, you don't have to look just like me and act just like me for me to have fellowship with you and for me to accept the fact that you're a Christian. There are some things we can disagree agree about, but these things aren't one of them. The things that we're going to read here, these are definitional to the Christian faith. These are what makes a person a Christian. These are the birthmarks. If you want to say it that way, this is what a believer looks like. This is what a believer, his heart looks like. These things are definitional. And so let's just get to reading them. It says, uh, it says in verse 18, we know this is the first one that whoever, whosoever is born of God sinneth not, but he that is begotten of God keepeth himself and the wicked one touches him not. We've seen that over And over again, notice what it says. We know that whosoever has been born of God, we're talking about born again now. We're not talking about, uh, you know, I walked an aisle, I, you know, I I did a thing. I prayed a prayer when I was seven at vacation Bible school. We're talking about the one who has been born of God does not sin continually without repentance. You cannot, we saw this last week, the sin unto death. You and I as believers, you cannot live in unrepentant sin. Why? Because I'm so good. Because I'm so wonderful. Absolutely not. Because God is a good father, a good shepherd, and he will discipline. He will chastise his children. Does it mean I can sin? Does it mean I don't, I'm not able to sin? Of course not. We've seen that over and over again. Even last week we talked about there's a sin. If you see a brother sin and a sin, you pray for him and God will restore him. So we know we're not talking about sinless perfection. We know we're not talking about, well, I'll never sin again because I'm a believer. Good luck with that, by the way, if that's your that's your point of view. But he's saying we know we know this is something that we know. Whosoever has been born of God doesn't continue in a unrepentant lifestyle of sin. They can't. The reason they can't is because he has been born of God. See, but he that is begotten 
of God, he keeps himself, he guards himself, he watches over himself. The idea is that, that, that you have a new heart that is now sensitive to sin. It's, it's sensitive to uh, the things that you do and say and think that make uh, that, that, that uh, God despises. I remember when, uh, when I was saved, I was saved in, uh, actually, I got off the phone with Brother Eddie on a Thursday. I don't remember, it was a long time ago. 2003, I guess that ain't too long ago. Uh, but the, 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 the thing that, the thing that uh, I, I understood was, uh, was it was different from, let me just tell you the background. I wasn't going to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway because a lot of people don't know. Make sure I don't go over time. I was one of them people that, you know, I was lost for a long time and all, all into everything, just all kind of stuff. And then I got in church for a long time. You know, I was three or four years. I was in church and doing right, acting right, being good. I was, you know, had it all going on. Uh, but I still love sin. I love my sin. I love to do what I wanted to do. I, I put on the good clothes and I looked good. I was raising my family. I was going to work every day. I was a good person by anybody's standard, you know, but I just, I still loved my sin. Well, when God saved me, when God saved me, there was something that was placed inside of me. The spirit of God was placed inside of me. And from that moment on, it wasn't that I never sinned again. It was that from that moment on, it hurt. I hated it. I didn't want it anymore. I despised sin in my life. I despised because I had been made a new creature. Now, I had prayed a prayer a lot, a lot of times. I've told you before, me and Danny used to, I remember us laying in bed going, you know, just talking before we go to sleep and, and to saying, you know, you, you think that you're all right with God? Yeah, I think so. Well, you want to pray again just to make sure? Okay, well, let's go on. We'll pray again just to make, I mean, one more can't hurt. We'll just go on and do it. You know, I remember having that conversation seven, eight, nine times uh, a month. I remember having it all the time. But when God saved me, there was there wasn't any question anymore because my new heart hated those things. It hated the things. Now, is it easy to get tempted? Is it easy to get pulled off? Is it easy to go into and to do those things? Yes, I'm still living in flesh and you are, too. And so it's easy. It's easy to do those things. But now you have a spirit inside of you that will not let you just run loose and run wild. He is a good father that will come and discipline his children. He will not let you do that. And so that's why John can say, look, I've written all this stuff to you, this whole letter. So now you need to understand, we know, he's saying, we all know, if we're believers, we know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not. He doesn't continue in an unrepentant lifestyle of sin. He is begotten of God, therefore he keeps himself. Really what he's saying is, Christ in you is the one that keeps you. He's the one that he's the one that guards your heart. He's the one that's always I get the picture of like a sniper or something always on the lookout for that sin. And when it sneaks in and when you realize, man, I've messed up right here, I've sinned, I've, I'm going against what God has said, I'm going against who I am. It, immediately he comes to discipline, to chastise, to come and to tell you what you need to do to fix it, what you need to do. You need to repent. You need to call out on me, trust in my sacrifice. You need to go to that person and tell him you're sorry, whatever it is that God's telling you to do. And it says at the end of the verse, it says, we know, we know three things in this verse. We know that whosoever born of God sinneth not. Uh, we know that he that is begotten of God keepeth himself. And we know that the wicked one touches him not. What it means is that you cannot, listen to me, you cannot be overpowered by the wicked one. 
You cannot be taken captive any longer by the wicked one because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. We read that in this letter. That's what John told us. You cannot be taken by the wicked one. So uh, this, this idea that the devil made me do it, it doesn't work. It's not not feasible, not possible. Unless the devil can overpower the Holy Spirit living inside of you, there's no way that you can be overcome by him. But that leaves the question, well, what happens when I do fall into sin? Well, as a famous singer once said, it's your own dang fault. It's your own fault. It's my own fault. The flesh is tempted. We're tempted when that, when that, whatever it is, is dangled in front of us. We want it. We want it. That flesh wants to go after it. It wants to go and do those things. You can't blame, well, the devil made me do it. I always get this funny picture of the devil sitting out on the curb going, man, I don't know why they blame me for everything. I, I didn't make them do it. They, just, they wanted to do it. He says, look, if you've been born again, you cannot be overcome. You cannot be overcome by the wicked one. You can't be taken uh, against your will. You are no longer a slave to sin. If you sin, and you do, and I do, I'm not saying we're perfect, but if you sin, it's because that's what you allowed to happen. You weren't taken against your will. You weren't taken. You're not a slave to sin anymore. Romans 6 says we're no longer slaves to sin. We're no longer under the dominion of sin. Whoever you give your members to is the one that you're a slave to, the one that you're service to obey. You cannot be, you cannot be taken, cannot be defeated. He says, I will not allow you to be tempted above what you are able to bear to give you the way of escape. Now what it says? That's what it says. Lay of a way of escape. That's right. He will not let you be tempted without giving you a way of escape. That's what I meant to say. And able to bear so it says, we know that whoever's born of God sinneth not, but he that is begotten of God keepeth himself and the wicked one. So what he's saying is the first thing you need to know as we summarize all this. You cannot live in unrepentant sin, a lifestyle over and over and just living your life however you please, doing exactly what you want to do, when you want to do, doing what your flesh wants to do. Let's say it that way. And say that I've been born of God. Now you can do that and say, well, I've, I've walked down an aisle. I've raised my hand. I came to vacation Bible school. I know you can do that because I was one. 11 years old, I prayed. I don't even remember what I prayed. Don't remember what the preacher was talking about. Don't remember anything. But I know that I walked an aisle. It was vacation Bible school, whatever. But there was no way, no way that I was a Christian for all those years, teenage years, uh, young adult years, I was saved when I was 29. There was no way, there was no way that I could be based on what I, based on my life, based on my heart, based on the things that I trusted in, the things I desired. There was no way. Now, are you saying now that you're perfect? I hope you don't think that. I hope you, I hope you've seen John himself in this letter. In the very first chapter of this letter, he said, if a man says he's without sin, he crazy. He's a liar. He says, we, we know, we know that we are. We know that we have it. But there is a new spirit inside of me. There's a new heart that does not and cannot desire that sin anymore. So the first thing is, we've seen it over and over again, the test of obedience. You know, we know. We know that whosoever is born of God doesn't continue 
to live the way that they live. We know that whosoever is born of God keeps himself. We know that the wicked one, it do, he doesn't touch him. He doesn't overcome him. He can't just come and call whenever he gets ready. And you, you follow him like you did when you were a slave to sin. You have power now in Christ and the Holy Spirit to resist him and he will flee from you. Amen. Says we know that he doesn't sin. The second thing he says, the second thing he says is that uh, verse 19. And we know that we are of God and the whole world lies in wickedness. The second thing that we know, I mean, it's something that we know is that there are only two sides to this coin. There's only two camps that you can be in. We know that we, he's talking to believers, we know that we are of God. We are born from him. We are from God. We are heirs. We are his sons and his daughters. Not because we're so good, but because Jesus Christ, his only son, gave us that righteousness. He gave us that right. He adopted us into his family, redeemed us from the, the slave auction, so to speak. And we now, in him, by the Holy Spirit, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ, We are of God and the whole world lies in wickedness. Understand this, that there's only two camps. There's not, there's not any middle ground. There's not, well, they're doing pretty good. Well, they're doing that. that, I mean, they're really a good person. They're a nice person. So I'm sure God's going to let them in. I'm sure God's going to be kind to them because they were so good to, to, to Aunt Vern and to, and to grandmama and to all them other people. They were such good folks. Understand you're either in Christ or you are in the, in the world. There's only two, only two places you can be only two spheres of influence, only two kind of hearts that you can have. You are either of God which means you are in Christ. You have a perfect inheritance. You have a, you are co-heir with Christ. You're a son and daughter of God. You have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. That's either your identity or you are in league with the world and life in wickedness. There's no middle ground. There's no, I'm doing better than I used to do. I'm glad that you are. And I'm doing better than I used to do too, by the way. But in God's eyes, you're either of God or you're of the world. There's, there's only two options. That's the only two places you can be is in Christ or in the world. Now, there's lots of times we want to make excuses, especially for people that we love. You know, uh, I got I got a, a uncle and he's a great guy and he's really nice. And, you know, he, he doesn't he doesn't accept Christ and he doesn't do the whole religion thing. But man, he'll give you the shirt off his back. He'll do anything for you whenever he'll be happy to, you know, just to to give as much as possible until it hurts so he can help you understand. That's great. We need more people like that. But that's not going to bring you to heaven. That's not going to make you righteous before God. You are either 100% righteous in Christ and of God, or you with the whole world lieth in wickedness. There are only two camps. He's making it clear that you know that. He said, we know that the one who's been born of God doesn't continue in sin, doesn't sin. He says, and we know that we are of God and the whole world lies in wickedness. There's only two places that you can be. God disciplines his children and the world lies in wickedness, does whatever it pleases. And as much as it pleases and loves to do what it pleases. There is no, there is no, when I was, when I was, uh, I wasn't saved, but when I, when I kind of reformed myself, I used to play, uh, for those of y'all that don't know me, I used to play music for a living, uh, and it was bad, uh, but 
when I reformed myself, cut all my hair off, that was when Jacob, over at 16, he was like a year old maybe. When I, when I reformed myself and just stopped all the bad stuff and started going to church and became a better person, I'm, all, I'm saying all this tongue in cheek, when I became a better person, um, people would look and they would say, wow, you, man, you, you're really doing good. You have really changed. You've really fixed up yourself. I mean, no longer was I, no longer would they, you know, I was, I wasn't looking raggedy. I wasn't doing drugs anymore. Wasn't drinking anymore. Wasn't out at all hours of the night anymore. I was getting up, going to work, coming home, feeding my family, hanging out with my family, doing, you know, doing what everybody does. I, by all intents and purposes, I'm telling you, my mama was happy. My, my father was happy. I'm so glad you turned your life around. I'm so glad that you're acting better. I'm so glad that your life is. But the reality is from the third row of that church pew, I would have went to hell just like I would have on Beale Street. There's no difference. I am either in Christ or I'm of the world. It doesn't matter if you're religious it doesn't matter if you're spiritual, you know, that old thing where people say, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. Uh, you know what? Spiritual people go to hell. Religious people go to hell too. Jesus's biggest enemies in the gospel was religious people that thought they had it going on. And so it says, look, you are either of God or you are of the world. It does not matter how much religion that you think you have or how spiritual you think you are or how good that you think you're doing or how, you know, it doesn't matter if you are not in Christ. If you have not trusted in his death, burial, resurrection, if you have not surrendered your life to Christ, you are not of God. It's, it's that simple. If you have not trusted in Christ, then you're not of God. And the third thing he says in verse 20, he says, and we know, and this is the important, this is the most important for us today. We know that we know that the son of God is come and has given us an understanding that we may know him that is true. And we are in him that is true, even in his son Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Now let's take all that apart. It says, we know that the son of God is come. We talked about that over and over again. Test of doctrine. Do you believe in the son? Do you believe in the father and the son? Do you believe that God himself took on human flesh and came to die on the cross for your sin, to be a propitiation for your sin? We know that he's come. This is not up for debate. This is not up for question. This is not up for us to doubt or worry about or fear about or wonder about. This is something that we know. We know that the son of God has come and he has given us an understanding. What kind of understanding has he given us? That we may know him that is true. Understand that you and I have, if we're born again, we have not just an understanding of doctrine, but a relationship with this God. We know him. It's not just we know about him. I can stand up and tell you all about God. I can tell you about who he is, about what he's like, about what he does. I can tell you all those things. But until you know him, until you know him, not just know about him, you will be of the world. It's like I could tell you all kind of things. My wife's not here in the early service. I can tell you all kinds of things about her. 
I can tell you what she likes. I can tell you what she dislikes. I can tell you what kind of person she is. I can tell you what she looks like, her eye color, hair color. I can tell you where she's from and where she grew up and all about her family. By the time I got done, if I did that day in, day out, Sunday after Sunday, you would feel like you absolutely know everything there is to know about her. But understand, until you actually meet her, until you actually communicate with her, until you actually come face to face with her, you won't know her. You'll know, you'll know all about her. You'll know everything there is to know about her. I could give you a list and give you every piece of information, things that nobody knows. You could know all about her, but until you know her, you have no relationship with her. Sometimes, sometimes we'll get like in the second service, there'll be a lot of people that come and there's visitors that come in and out. You know, sometimes we don't get to meet them. Sometimes we don't get to shake their hands. Uh, there's some people that just come in and they'll come and they'll sit down. Uh, they'll come in after service starts and they'll leave before service is over. So we don't really get a chance to fellowship or whatever. We don't really get a chance to do anything. And, and sometimes I, I, I noticed this uh, years ago is some of those folks, I would see them in Walmart. And because we're up on the stage and we're playing the guitars and singing and uh, they, they would say, they would talk to me like they knew me. I mean, like they really knew me. You know, I kind of knew who they were or whatever, but they would really talk to me like I, that we were best friends or something. And I'm thinking, I don't really know you. What, what was your name again? And it's just because they're familiar. They've been around. You know, they've been here and every, every, you know, every other Sunday, once a month, whenever, however, however often they came, they would come and they would see us and we'd sing songs and we'd be up here and Brother Eddie'd preach and we'd, we'd have the kids up here and we'd do our thing and we'd give announcements and we'd tell about the youth and we'd do all these things that we do and they would start, you know, it's just familiar. It's just familiar. Hey, how are you? I'm like, hey, who, who is that? Who is that? You don't know me. You don't know me. It's the same thing. I could stand up here and tell you all about God. And that's what we do. The, we, could, we could tell you about, you know, God has done this. And look at this scripture and what God has done. But if you don't know this God, if you don't know this Christ, then you're not of God. You don't know him. I could tell you all about him. I could tell you everything that everything there is to know about him. But until you meet him, until you give your life to him, until he comes and dwells in you, you do not know him. He says, we know that the son of God has come and the son of God has given us understanding that we may know him. That is true. And then look at this part. Very important for John. And we are in him. That is true. We are in him. That is true. We are in him. He in us and we in him. When, when, when the father looks at us, you better have righteousness wrapped around you. You better have righteousness imputed to you because there's nothing, not even the smallest little sin will get past his gaze, will get past his view because he is a perfectly just judge. Everything. Every sin gets punished. We're not like that. I can forgive all kind of stuff. I can, I can wink my eye and just let it go. But God is perfect in his justice. And in order for him to forgive you, in order for him to forgive you and me, his justice has to be satisfied. And only one, only one man, the God man, satisfied that justice. 
You can't satisfy it. You'll spend eternity in hell. And I will too if we're not born again trying to satisfy that justice that will never be satisfied. But Jesus in one day, he satisfied the wrath of God, all poured out upon him as he hung on the cross, died, was buried three days in the tomb. And God the Father, by the power of the Holy Spirit, raised him from the dead. And he ascended into heaven into glory again, understanding that now he has provided that perfect justice. He has paid for the wrath of God. He has given redemption. And now forgiveness is wide open for you if you would just come and accept it. If you would just come and trust him. He said he's given us understanding that we know him, that we can know him and that we are in him. We're in him that is true, even in his son. Jesus Christ, understanding you have the Trinitarian language here, don't you? The father and the son. I'm going to talk to you all about that soon, I hope. But it says you, you know him. This is the true God, father and son and Holy Spirit. This is the true God. And look what it says. And this is eternal life. So many people are walking around thinking that they have eternal life because I'm a good person. I haven't done anything really bad. I'm trying to reform my life. I'm trying to I'm trying to I'm trying to get over whatever it was. I'm doing better than I used to. I'm doing I'm doing so much better. I'm 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 going to church and I'm trying to be better. and I'm trying to live right and I'm trying to read my Bible. I'm trying to pray. I'm trying to help my neighbor. I'm trying to do all those things and all those things are good things. There's nothing wrong with those, but that's not eternal life. It says that we may know him that's true and we are in him that's true, even his son, Jesus Christ. This, all that that I've said before, that we know the son of God has come, that we know him, that we are in him. This is the true God and this is eternal life that we know him. Jesus said it himself. He said, this is eternal life that you may know God and the one that he has sent. It's about a relationship with this God. It's not about understanding the facts. There's lots and lots of heathens, lots and lots of atheists. I mean, people who would never say that I'm a Christian, but deny it completely saying, I don't want anything to do with it. It's stupid. It's terrible. I don't want anything to do with it. They have lots of knowledge. There are people that study to have knowledge of the Bible and knowledge of God so they can argue with you about these things and understand that just knowing things does not make you right before God. It's knowing God. Through his son, Jesus Christ, that makes you right with God. It's his death and burial and resurrection that makes you right with God. This is the true God. It's the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This is the true God. That we may know him that's true, him that is true, and we are in him that is true, even in his son. Jesus Christ. This is the true God. He says the word true three times in one verse. He's wanting you to understand that the true God, the true eternal life, the true salvation is to know him and to be in him. The only way that happens, the only way that's possible is not for you to do better, not for you to act better, not for you to straighten up and fly right, not for you to pull up your bootstraps and, and do and do life better. 
It's to know God. It's to trust in Christ. It's to give him your life. Repent of your sin. Trust in him that he is the only thing that can pay for your sin. He is the only sacrifice that is ever going to be acceptable for you and I to be right with God. You can sacrifice a lot of things. You can sacrifice your time. You can sacrifice your money. You can sacrifice your, your, uh, your, uh, your, your selfishness to go and do things for other people. You can offer God all kinds of sacrifices that you want, but the only sacrifice that's going to make you right before him is Jesus Christ and him crucified. And once that sacrifice has cleared the slate and made you perfect before God, then your sacrifice of works is acceptable to God because it's clean through the blood of Christ. Then your sacrifice of praise and prayer is acceptable to God because it's clean through the blood of Christ. Then you are acceptable to God because you've been clean by the blood of Christ. This is the true God. And this is eternal life. And then the very last thing, I love this, the last verse in the whole book, verse 21. He doesn't say, you know, if you read Paul's letters, a lot of his are in like, and now I commend you and I hope to come and see you soon. And I hope that, you know, hope to give greetings to this person and that person and all this. This one ends, this one ends. He says, look, little children, he's called them little children throughout the book. Keep yourselves from idols. You remember what he just said, the verse before? This is the true God. This is the true God. It's the one who is true and his son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God. And then he says, little children, keep yourself from idols. Keep yourself from all these idols. You know what he's talking about. All these guys were coming in saying, Jesus is just the start. He's just the beginning of this stuff. Don't worry. We're going to the higher thing. We're going to the religious thing. Keep yourselves from idols. Now, I'm almost positive that nobody, even in John's time when he wrote this, was bowing down and worshiping some gold statue or something or some wooden statue or whatever. They would all, if you ask them point blank, who is your God? They would all say, oh, it's Jesus. But they had all kind of different understandings about what Jesus is. They had all kind of different understandings about who this God is. And there were people coming in saying, no, we got the real thing. And they were saying, no, we got the real thing. You need to come and act like us. You need to come and follow us. John has told us throughout this book, the true God. He says, we know. We know that if we've been born again, we don't continue in sin. We know that if we have been, if we've been born again, then uh, we know God and we are in him. He says, we know these things. We know that we love the brethren. We love the fellowship of the body of the, of the saints. If we have been born again, because God puts that love within us, we know these things. And he says, this is the true God. This is the true God. This is the one who has saved you from your sins. This is the one who has created everything. This is the one who you're going to have to stand before and you're going to have to give account for what you did in the body, whether good or bad. You're going to have to give an account to this God. So the final thing that he says, look, you got to keep yourself from idols. Today, I don't really worry about any of y'all going home and bowing down to something that you got on your mantle. I don't really worry about none of y'all bowing down in your driveway to your car or at your house or anything like that. But today, the greatest idolatry that goes on is people that create a God 
in their own mind. And they call him Jesus. They'll call him Jesus. And they're all about Jesus. But their Jesus is not the Jesus of the Bible. Their God is not the God of the Bible. Their God will let them do whatever. Their God loves, if you love pornography, then your God's okay with that. If you love stealing, your God's okay with that. He's not, he knows your heart. You know, if you're okay with, if you're okay with gossiping and slandering and malice and envy and those, that's just human nature. That's things that we do. We can't help it. God knows our hearts. That's an idol. That's an idol that you're worshiping. And your idol is not going to be able to help you when you stand before the true God. When you stand before the real God, when you stand before Jesus Christ, he's either going to say, well done. He's going to say, depart from me. That idol that we make up in our mind. You know, sometimes we make up a religious idol where we say, you know, as long as I'm as long as I'm doing the church thing, as long as I'm as long as I read my Bible 10 minutes a day or 30 minutes a day, an hour a day, as long as I'm doing X, I'm okay. The reality is, as long as I know Jesus and I am in Jesus, what the verse said two verses before, I know that I'm okay, not because I'm so good, but because he's enough to pay for my sin. And so when he says, keep yourselves from idols, what what I think that his basic meaning is taking the whole book into account is that we don't move not a single step away from Jesus Christ and him crucified. Isn't that what John has told us through the whole book? You know, the religious guys want to tell us we need something extra. We need something more. You need to go this way. You need to add this and add that. And John has said, no, if you have faith in Christ, if you have simple faith, trust in him, you have everything, you have righteousness. You have. So to, be, to, to keep ourselves from idols, is to keep ourselves right at the foot of the cross, right in the heart of the gospel and say, that is the center of my life. That is the only thing in my life. I'm going to grow in it, sure. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to you know, uh, add virtue and perseverance to my faith and all those things. But the absolute thing that makes me right with God, the absolute thing that I'm walking in, the place where I receive my joy, the place where I receive my purpose, the place where I receive communion with God himself is at the cross, is at the cross where Jesus died and was resurrected. The last thing he says, keep yourself from idols. There is no other God, father, son, And Holy Spirit, this is one. We know that Jesus has come and he's given us understanding to know him that is true, even his son, Jesus Christ. Keep yourself from idols. Understand that our hearts, my heart, your heart is an idol factory. It will create an idol out of anything. It will make an idol out of things that are good things. Family can be your idol. Uh, You know, food is a good thing. Food is a wonderful thing, a blessing. But it can be an idol. Your job can be an idol. Anything can be an idol. Anything Anything that gets in the way of your communion with God. Anything that gets in the way of, I'll tell you this one story and then I'll go. I built, I built a, uh, an 88 Chevrolet Silverado uh, from an absolute total. I built it um, when I used to work at the body shop. And this thing was good. It was nice. It was nice. It, it, uh, it was red. 
and it had I painted flames down the side. Y'all remember that truck? And I, you know, I thought I'm, I'm even gonna put a Bible verse on the back of the tailgate. You know, Galatians two twenty was on the back of the tailgate. A lot of y'all, some of y'all saw saw the truck. And when I was saved, I was working in the body shop, and every day at lunch, I would go and I would spend time with God, and it was, I mean, it was precious. It was wonderful. It was. Bible, I would read my Bible, I would pray, I would go sit in my, my at this time it was a car, I'd go sit in my car and I would just pray in the parking lot of somewhere, get me something to eat, and I would just, it was just fellowship time with God. And, and this truck showed up, wrecked, totaled, nobody could mess with it, nobody, it was, nobody wanted it. So I got it, and I just started rebuilding it, right? Well, I really, I worked in Covington, so, you know, I'm not going to be driving back and forth. So guess what time I chose to take to work on this truck? I chose that that fellowship time, that communion time. You know, I thought, well, hey, you know what? I'm going to get it done, and then we'll go back to the deal. And, you know, God didn't strike me dead or anything like that. It was all good. I, I got it done. It was wonderful, and the truck was great. It looked good, you know, in my opinion. A lot of people said it didn't, but. It looked good. I thought it looked good. And then, and then what happened was that thing started nickel and diming me to death. Water pump would go out. This would go out. I mean, I mean, you, you have that happen with older stuff anyway, but it was real. I mean, it was killing me. It was killing me. So uh, one day I decided, you know what? I'm going to pull the whole engine out of that car. I'm going to buy me a GMC crate, brand new engine. I'm going to put it in there and I ain't going to have to worry about this stuff no more. I'm not going to have to worry about it no more. I'm just going to have a brand new engine. It's going to be brand new. Not going to have to worry about it. Got it. Got the engine put in it. Brand new. I got a brand new truck. Brand, zero miles on the engine. Week later, somebody T-boned me, totaled the whole truck. All that to say this. I was laying, I was laying in bed, waking up one morning and I was just, you know, was praying, whatever. And God, God showed me that I had put that stupid truck in his, in his place, in his slot. Now, if you would have asked me, there's no way I'm not bowing down to this truck. I'm not, I mean, it's a truck. It's not, it's not my God. If you would have said you can either have Jesus or you can have that truck, I would have took Jesus. I, I don't care. Take the truck, throw it away, whatever. But I allowed it in my daily life. I allowed it in my daily life to take his spot little by little by little by little. And thankfully, he loved me enough to remove that. I mean, after slapping me in the, in the pocketbook a couple of good times, he, he loved me enough to remove it from me. And it taught me and it taught me a lesson. It taught me the lesson that anything can be an idol. And it's not going to just jump up in your face and say, hey, I'm an idol. I'm an idol. Come worship me. Come let me take Jesus's place. It's not going to do that. Little by little, it's going to come and it's going to just take five minutes of his time, then 10 minutes of his time, then a little more of his time. And then pretty soon you're going to wake up one day and say, what is this that has taken over? He says, look, you keep yourself from idols. You watch, you guard yourself from idols. There is absolutely nothing. There's absolutely nothing that can take Christ's place because without him you have absolutely nothing I hope I hope that makes sense I don't even know if it makes sense to you but I hope it does the last thing he says look you know that you are in Christ 
You know that you have fellowship with Christ. Now you keep yourself from idols. The things that he says that we know in these last four verses are things that you and I need to know. And if you don't understand that one verse where it says, we know that we are of God and the whole world lies in wickedness. You today are in one of those two positions. I don't care how good you're doing. I don't care how well you've straightened up your life. I don't care how well you, you are in one of two positions. You are either in Christ or you are of the world. One will be in perfect fellowship with Jesus for all eternity where there'll be no more tears and no more pain, no more suffering. And one will suffer for eternity under the wrath of God. Today, you are invited to come and be part of God's family. He's invited to adopt you. He's invited to come and to take you and to redeem you. And you don't have to clean yourself up. You don't have to get anything right. All you have to do is come and repent of your sin and trust in him. It's as simple as that. Father, we love you and we thank you for your word. We, we just ask that you would 